Happy Mother's Day. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, this morning as I was reflecting on um, just the significance of today, I remembered an experience when I was a kid, I actually really had just intense difficulty with Father's Day. Um, I grew up without a dad. And so I remember Father's Day in school, uh, teachers would guide the students to create like gifts or cards for their dads. And I didn't have anybody to make one. And I remember just being really, really sad. And as a result of that, I really looked forward to Mother's Day because I got to celebrate my mom. But then as the years have gone by, I've realized that on a day like today that is filled with a lot of appropriate joy and honoring and love for mothers and women in our life that care for us and just are just so amazing, the reality is Mother's Day is also a difficult day. It's a challenging day. It brings up um, pain and loss. Um, for some of us, our mothers are not with us. Uh, or if you've wanted to be a mother to a child and, and maybe that's been a struggle and a journey, it, it can be very, very challenging. And so on a day like today where we celebrate and appropriately honor mothers and women in our life, um, we also wanna do so with the utmost care and just delicate nature because it's, it's such a complex layered day. And so for those uh, here that you're celebrating today and it's not a heavy day, we are so happy for you. And for those that this is a challenging day, we grieve with you, we love you, and we're so grateful for the mothers and the women in our church. And so would you join me in prayer? Um, I just want to say a word of blessing. Father, thank you when you created women and you gifted the world with mothers. Lord, you truly did not hold back. Lord, we're so grateful for the mothers in our life. We're grateful, Lord, for the women that we get to admire and champion and cheer on and they inspire us with all that they do and who they are and the ways that your unique, incredible design is displayed through them. We see you through them. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, wherever, however they engage with today, whether it's just an incredibly upbeat, joyous day or if it's filled with some challenge, wherever they find themselves, may they encounter you and may they know that they put a smile on your face, that your love toward them is not a forced love. Lord, you love them with an everlasting love. They bring delight and joy to you, and may they know that today. We thank you for the mothers and women in our life that make our world so much better. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give a hand to the mothers and women in our lives? So grateful. We're going to go straight to scripture. We're continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit. If you are not familiar, um, there is a unique season in the Christian calendar right after Resurrection Sunday when Jesus rises from the dead. And the season that we're in is leading up to a very significant day called Pentecost. And this is a day where the Holy Spirit was poured out, the scripture tells us, on all flesh. That's a significant phrase in the scripture, and it describes a powerful reality. Because if you study the scriptures, you'll notice something. Leading up to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not poured out on all flesh. 
The Holy Spirit primarily was upon prophets or kings or significant people in the life of God's people, but it was not accessible to everyone. Yet, on the day of Pentecost, we're told that God would fulfill this promise that was prophesied by the prophet Joel, and that on that day, it says, sons and daughters, slaves and free. And so the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all. It would break down socioeconomic boundaries, class divisions. It would be the most powerfully, divinely democratizing moment in history, and it changes everything. And so in this series, we don't want to take for granted that we may or may not know who the Holy Spirit is. We may or may not have studied Scripture or about the Holy Spirit, or we may or may not have had a great experience, whether in church or different settings with ministry that was titled Ministry of the Holy Spirit, and some of us have had some challenging experiences. We want to recover the beautiful essence, the gift that Jesus says would be ours by the Holy Spirit being in our life. And so we're looking at a very incredibly important passage of Scripture about the Holy Spirit today. It's found in the letter to the Galatians, Paul's writing to this church that has had some really doctrinal struggles because people have come in and have tried to pervert the gospel. They have tried to tell these believers in Galatia that in order to be a child of God, that they would have to perform certain rituals and traditions. In other words, that they would have to earn their place at God's table through their behavior, their good works. And the gospel says the opposite. And within that framework, Paul talks about walking in the spirit. Can you say that phrase with me? Walking in the spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come before your word. We pray you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him to each and every one of us. Cause the word of God to come alive to us. We want to hear your voice. And Father, would we grow in our love and our affection for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, uh, but maybe you've heard this term and we're not, are not familiar with the etymology or the origin of this term as I've only recently discovered the roots of it. The term is Sunday best. Have you ever heard that phrase? 
Not most. Some of you are saying yes. For those of you that haven't heard it, but uh, uh, let me break it down for you. So Sunday best. It's this idea that people on Sundays would wear their very best clothing. Um, it, it goes back to the traditions that exist from the very outset of this nation being founded, where people practice the Christian faith, and on a Sunday was a day that entire communities would be called to worship. Um, like it, businesses would be shut down. Um, nothing would happen on Sunday. The only thing you could do was gather with God's people to worship. Doesn't that sound amazing? However, there's some troubling history with the term Sunday best because it was a day that for slaves, they were, their masters made them put their best clothes on because they were, they were going to go to church. And it was the day that more often than not, slaves would not be mistreated because it's the Lord's day. Let's not talk about what happens Monday through Saturday. But on that day, Christian slave masters would not mistreat their slaves. It goes on. If you talk to African Americans even to this day, there is something that they'll share. They'll say it's like in our psyche, in our DNA, we have been trained to think that the better we look, the better we'll be treated. And so it's not uh, uncommon for African Americans to dress to the nines. And, and it, but it goes deeper. It's not just fashion. It it's, goes deeper to this thought of we were treated the best when we looked our best. And all we want to do is be treated well. I reference that because just, I mean, it's, it's gut-wrenching to even think that this is a part of our history and that it, it deeply affects people even to this day. But spiritually, if, I, if you would allow me to, I think in many ways we have our version of Sunday best when it comes to how we relate to God. And that is that often religion, not the gospel, not the good news of Jesus, but religion, man-made rules, will tell us that God will treat us better if we are better. That God will be more loving to us if we're more obedient. If we have our act together. If we look a certain way. If we present ourselves a certain way. And so what we're encouraged, what religion encourages you and I to do is to hide the dirt. Sweep it under the rug. Deny it. And actually act like it doesn't exist because in that way you will be loved more. It's a horrible, horrible lie that many of us are under. Why I begin there is because there's another extreme. If religion tells us to be our best means that God will love us, that in order for God to love us, that we have to be at our best behavior, society tells us a different message. And why I'm talking about this is because in this passage, you'll notice, if you read it again, that the idea and the word desires is brought up repeatedly. And so the first instance, it says, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not fulfill, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, first instance. And then it says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so, in just in those verses, the idea of desires pops up in a few different ways. And it pops up the first time in reference to the desires of the flesh. That's an interesting idea from Scripture because it's this idea, the flesh, it communicates our sinful nature, the parts of us that live in contrast or in contradiction or resist God's rule and reign, that there's parts of us that desire what God doesn't want us to desire. Do you realize as good-looking as all of you are right now and as well-behaved and well-mannered, there is a wild side in each of you? You say, oh, no, not me. I'm prim and proper. I'm a... Even you who does an act the fool and, and colors within the lines, you and I have this thing called desires of the flesh. And Paul says if we walk in the Spirit, one of the things that will happen is that we won't gratify those desires. We won't live in a constant state of just trying to fulfill those desires. But then on the contrary, he says you'll walk in the Spirit and so you'll fulfill the Spirit's desires because it's the flesh and the Spirit that are in this conflict with each other. And in the flesh, our sinful nature has these desires, and the Spirit has desires for us. And notice what it says. It says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Oh, that is some bad news for us. Because we live in a world that says, if you desire it, you have full freedom to do it. And no one should ever, can ever, reasonably question your desires. You have full reign, green light, no seatbelt, pedal to the metal. Desires, nobody should stand in the way. Not even God. That's our world. And so on the one extreme, religion, back to religion, tells you deny your desires, especially if they're ugly desires. Let's be honest. If here, if anywhere else, we should be honest. Have you ever had a desire to just unload on somebody? I guess I'm by myself. <laughs> Have you ever had a desire to really tell someone off. Yes. So good to be with people, <laughs> not robots. Have you ever had a desire to cut a relationship off? Have you ever had thoughts or inclinations that scare you? You're like, ooh, no. Well, you think about it for a second, it's like, that could get me to jail. That would ruin all my life. If I follow that trail, domino effect. By the end of it, I'm homeless, no one loves me, I'm forgotten. It, 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 desires are powerful, and religion will tell you, deny them, ignore them, 
Society will say, don't let anybody stop you from fulfilling them. The Holy Spirit offers us a third way. And this third way is, you don't get to do what you want to do. Say, but that doesn't sound fun. I thought to follow Jesus meant that he would just always say yes to me. It would just be like, he doesn't Jesus exist for my comfort and my ever-increasing accumulation of things? And isn't to follow him a sure path of just uh, increasing success and accolades and climbing the ladder? Isn't, right? isn't that what we've been told? We've been told that, but Jesus never promised us that. To follow Jesus means to pick up our cross. He said that. I didn't say that. If that offends you, if that's rough, if you want something softer to be said, then find somebody else to go and, for your source. But if Jesus is our source, out of his mouth, he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. What does that mean? It means to follow Jesus means that you and I won't always get to do what we want to do. So there are times where we will want to not be loving. You don't get to do that. There are times where you will want and I will want to satisfy our sinful cravings. We don't get to do that. There are times where you will want and I will want to elevate ourselves over others. So just let them know how special we are and how privileged they are to know us. We don't get to do that. We don't get to walk in arrogance and elitism. There are times where you and I will want to hold people to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. We don't get to do that. Walking in the Spirit is this incredible tension where you are empowered to not deny your desires, to act like they're not there, but you're also empowered to not be bound by them. In a culture that says if you feel it, you should do it, the Holy Spirit says, actually, there's some things you feel that I'm not empowering you to do. You don't get to do what you want. And here's where the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is so powerful because it does two things. It gives us the ground of our acceptance before God. It establishes that you and I are loved and accepted. We talked about it last week. You and I are children of God. The Holy Spirit, one of his works in our lives is to testify to your spirit and ours that we're children of God and that this is an identity that is affirmed, not earned, that he affirms it to us. And so we're accepted by Jesus through his work, not our good works, not whether we merit it or not. But how many know it's one thing to be accepted, it's another thing to be empowered? What do I mean by that? I heard a tragic story of a young man who grew up in the hood and he worked his butt off. He stayed away from negative environments and he stayed the course and he ended up being able to get accepted to some of the best schools that he would have ever imagined. But there was one problem, he didn't have the means to fill out the applications, to fulfill, to relocate, to, to get some basics. He got scholarships, but not fully. And it was a tragic situation. He was accepted, but he wasn't empowered to fulfill the acceptance. Jesus has done more than just accept us. 
into his family, through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to fulfill this affirmed identity as children of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do what Paul is saying here, which is to walk in the Spirit. Can you say that phrase with me? Walk in the Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we talk about his gifts, we talk about his conviction, we talk about all these things, but last week we talked about this inner work of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about the outer work very soon within the series, but it, we have to pause and reflect and anchor ourselves in this reality. One of the main works of the Holy Spirit, day to day, moment by moment, is empowering you and I to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. One step at a time. I love the fact that it's called walk in the spirit, not Olympic triathlete in the spirit, not, you know, set world record speeds in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. You're going to be empowered to take one step at a time toward obeying and glorifying Jesus. So, but how does this work? We're called to walk in the Spirit, and we're told by walking in the Spirit, we're empowered to not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We're empowered to not deny our own desires, but we're empowered to not do what we want to do. That's what we're being empowered to do. How does this work? It works first and foremost by the Holy Spirit indwelling us, living inside of us. And I have to say, I think we don't glory and relish and celebrate how significant that is to the degree that we should. The Spirit of God, if you put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You are a living, breathing, moving, physical address of the Holy Spirit. When you go into a room, the Holy Spirit inside of you is there. When you engage in anything you do in this world, the Spirit of God is inside of you. I still don't think we're getting it. it the, 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 the living God who created the universe lives inside of us. You know, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, last Friday was a, a reminder of just how this kind of works. Um, I don't know if you heard in the news there was a fireman that died on duty. Um, and it turns out uh, he actually lived right across the street from me in the Rockaways. And so on Friday, there was over 20,000, whether it was FDNY, state troopers, NYPD, descended on the Rockaways to give this man a proper send-off. It was really powerfully sobering. Um, when I thought of how often, I won't get into the reflections, it was very heavy. Um, that night, I had to be in North Jersey to meet with some vineyard pastors. And guess how long it took me to get from the Rockaways to North Jersey? Take a guess. Three hours, five. Three hours, oh, please, no. 
you would have a man up here weeping and crying, needing therapy. Five hours, I could be in Europe if I was flying. Three hours. And most of that time was spent in Brooklyn, just trying to get out, to get to Jersey. And I, re I remembered, which I'm sure we've all experienced on some levels, but maybe we didn't fully pay attention, whenever the president would come to town. Those were the days, the warnings, don't travel or expect delays. Hear this, one person coming, and now I'm not diminishing the significance of the office, but it's one person totally shifting the experience of millions of people because of the importance of that one person. I'll give you an, another funnier example. And please, if you're in fashion, if you're into those things, I'm not trying to diminish it. Because uh, clearly, I'm very fashionable, you know. Like I, that, this, you're my people. This is who I roll with. But um, the Met Gala is always an interesting thing to me because the way people fawn over So I saw this picture. A friend of mine's uh, daughter was on someone's shoulders. They were like a block away just so they could have an aerial view and basically tell the other short people that couldn't see, like, oh, this is what I'm seeing, addressed by Vlev Le Vlain, you know, and, and whatever. And, and, and people were just in this moment. And I think about, we pause for celebrities wearing designers. Our world gets shifted around when one person, albeit the president, will come to a city, everything changes, and the Spirit of God is taking residence in us, and we could be blah about that. Doesn't make sense. I'm preaching to me. It doesn't make sense. On our worst day, you're the temple of the living God. He lives inside of you. By virtue of him living inside of us, he empowers us, Paul tells us, to not gratify the desires of our flesh. And he also says we will not be under the law. We're not going to talk about the second part. We'll talk about that next week, what it means to not be under the law. But here's why the Holy Spirit's inside of us, because we are being empowered to love. Look at what it says, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I, I need us to wrap our minds around this. We are so bad at loving ourselves and each other. We are so desperately in need of help in this area that we needed God to die on our behalf in order to heal us of that. And that wasn't enough. We also needed that same God to take residence inside of us. You and I are so desperately needy. To, we can't love each other and love one another. We need divine help so badly that Jesus had to die in our place and then send his spirit to live inside of us just to help us. So if you came here thinking... I'm God's gift to Christianity. Let that bring us down a bit. Let us make us realize that you and I need every ounce of divine help. The Holy Spirit is required, is necessary, because if we're honest, 
Loving one another is easier said than done. It's easier said than done. I'm gonna, I want to free you, give you a chance to have like an emotional exhale. With a show of hands, how many people have some people in your life that are difficult to love? Feels good to be honest, right? I'm just before we get ahead of ourselves, some people raised their hand and they thought of you, you know, and so just, 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 just know that it's a two-way street. It's not like they're difficult to love and I'm just so peachy keen. No, like we're difficult to love. We all need divine help because if loving one another was that easy, the world would be a better place. The world wouldn't be corrupt. It wouldn't be broken. People wouldn't be marginalized. People wouldn't be forgotten. People wouldn't have to fight for basic rights. There wouldn't be injustice in the world. If loving one another was that easy, there wouldn't be all the chaos that this world has. It's not that easy. We need divine help. But we also need it to be able to fully realize something that Paul says in the very beginning of these verses. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You know why the, the greatest reason we need, one of the greatest reasons we need, the Holy Spirit to live inside of us is because it's only through him that you and I could ever experience Christian freedom. Freedom. Freedom in a bound, shackled world is now possible because of Jesus and Jesus alone and because of the Holy Spirit's work inside of us. The more filled with the Spirit we are, the more we're walking in the Spirit, it should not make us more religious, it should make us more free. But here's where it gets tricky, because when I say the Holy Spirit is, is here to make us free. God wants you to be free. That is a very loaded, charged word. Because when I say freedom, there's all sorts of ideas. Some people say, well, you know what I think would be freedom? It would be freedom to work from home forever. No commuting ever again. Goodbye, seven train. I'm done with you. That's freedom. Or some folks would say, Freedom would be uh, financial freedom. What, how would it look like to no longer have to work for money? My money works for me. And, then, and when I'm sleeping, my money's still working. I'm free. I'm free. I, I have the, the resources to live comfortably. I don't have to be in the rat race. Freedom could be that in our minds. Or freedom could be what we talked about earlier. Our society tells us that whatever you feel, you are free to pursue with no encumbrance. Nobody has the right to challenge that at all. But we hear a different definition of freedom in these verses. And the freedom that we hear is a freedom 
to obey. And that's kind of a mind bender because what we discover is that Christian freedom is not freedom from something, it's freedom to something. So to be free as a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you are free from obeying the law. You are actually now for the first time free to obey God's law. That's a very different definition than what our world says. Our world tells us freedom means no restraints, no hindrance. You don't have to check in with anybody. But actually, that's covering up a very just mischievous form of bondage. Because the idea that freedom is that I'm only free if I could follow my impulses without any hindrance, actually what it's covering up is that I'm actually bound to my impulses. That if I feel it, I have to do it. That I'm a slave to it. But actually we find that the Holy Spirit has a different kind of freedom for us. And it is the freedom to not do what you want to do. Maybe you didn't read this fine print. I'll be honest. I didn't read this fine print for many years in this relationship with Jesus. And then all of a sudden when I begin to read the fine print, I realize, oh, this is what he's actually invited me to. A journey of me actually not getting to do what I want to do. And why is that freedom versus bondage? Is because if he is dictating what I can and can't do, then every time he leads, I can trust that that will lead me to freedom. Because if I'm leading or society is leading, bondage is sure to come. So true freedom is actually not freedom to do whatever we want. True freedom is the ability to do what God alone tells us to do. True freedom, we find, is to be bound to love one another. The highest expression of freedom in Christ is the ability to be free to love one another, to be free from our trauma that hinders us to be able to love, to be free from our trust issues that hinders us to be able to fully relate, to be free from everything society tells us that encumbers our ability to love one another, to receive love, True freedom is expressed in loving one another. There is no higher expression of freedom in Christ than the Holy Spirit empowering us to love one another. I wish there was a different destination that I could tell you that God is pulling all of us toward on his map, that X marks the spot somewhere else, I know if I wrote the scriptures, I would have found a different destination to propose. It wouldn't have been love. It would have been serving myself. I'm sure of it. But the destination that we all have been invited to is loving one another. Loving one another. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're trying to map out your directions. You got to get from point A to point B. And it's not just you've got to figure out how to get there. Part of it is you are determined to avoid certain highways. 
determined to avoid because the algorithm will tell you, oh, take this street. And you're like, no, people die on that street. I'm not going down that street. You're not going to get me today, Google. You know, and so you know, so you got to, there's certain things you got to avoid. I try very hard to avoid the Van Wick because that's where dreams go to die, <laughs> on the Van Wick. You have plans to be on time, the Van Wick says, <laughs> I'll show you. And you go there and you don't move. But it's the unavoidable path sometimes. You have to go through it. Can I tell you, there's no avoiding the path of love. If you want to know this walk of the Spirit, the path that he's calling us to take steps toward, it's the path of love. If you want to be where the Holy Spirit is, but imagine this. The Christian life is every day choosing to go for a walk with the Holy Spirit. And whether we like it or not, the path that he's always walking down is the path of loving one another. So if we're walking with him, we're learning to love one another. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and my life right now, he has us all in school. We're all his students, and he's teaching all of us one lesson, a lesson that we never become masters at. We never uh, come out of it. We are perennial learners in this, and the lesson, the school, is all intended to teach us to love, to love one another. So right now, as we close, as the worship team comes forward, the Holy Spirit, his desire is to teach you and I how to love. This week, as you're walking with the Spirit, let's be very clear. He's going to take you and I down some streets that there's some unlovely people on those streets. It's like, oh, can we walk through, you know, a nicer part of the city, Holy Spirit? No. I'm going to take you through the tough spots, the tough people. And you know what makes that reality much more livable? Is realizing that thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit is teaching people to love us. Right now, the Holy Spirit is teaching some people how to love you. Did you know that, that you needed God himself to teach people how to love you? Isn't that humbling? Like, wait, you needed God to teach you how to love me? Really? I thought it was just self-evident, you know, like no manual needed because I'm just so amazing. No, you and I need God Almighty to teach people how to love us as he's teaching us how to love others. Could I invite us to stand? We are free to obey, not free to sin. We're empowered by the Spirit to not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. We're empowered by the Spirit to actually not do what we want to do. As we close, what is it that you don't want to do this week? 
who's in your life that, who is it in your life that you don't want to love, that you don't want to be patient with, that you don't want to be gracious toward? Who is in your life that you don't want to take the extra mile to understand their story, who they are, how they've been shaped, and the possibility that it might help you to love them and walk with them? Holy Spirit, teach us to love. Empower us to love. Empower us to not do what we want to do. To do what you want us to do. God, I invite us to raise our hands if you feel comfortable doing so. Just in a posture of surrender. Of receiving. The Holy Spirit is here. He's with us. Maybe right now he's bringing up someone that it's time for you with the Holy Spirit's help to learn to forgive them. To forgive doesn't mean that they have to be in your life. It means actually the bitterness of the experience gets taken out of your life. Jesus, speak to us. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to love as you empower us to love. Lord, who do we have to apologize to? Who do we have to reconcile with? Who do we have to serve humbly in love? Who have we been fighting and devouring, as Galatians 5 says, destroying one another? What? Speak to us. Teach us to love. Teach us to love teach us to receive your love. As we respond in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back to my left, to your right. I can't stress enough, if something's coming up for you, if there's something you're processing, don't process it on your own. This is what we're here for, to love one another, to carry each other. Receive prayer if you're in need of anything that's come up through the message or anything you're carrying. Let's respond to God in these next few moments in worship and prayer. And again, the prayer team is in the back. They can allow us to pray with you.